Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Judith Tannen from the New Books Network. Today, I am thrilled to speak with Astrid Blodgett, author of the book, This is How You Start to Disappear. Astrid Blodgett is the author of the short story collections, This is How You Start to Disappear, and You Haven't Changed a Bit. Her stories have appeared in many Canadian literary magazines and in translation in Inestranaya Literatura, a Russian journal that publishes foreign writers. One of her stories is part of the Danish Royal Ministry of Education's English exams, and now the educational textbook Connect in the chapter on Puzzle Plots. Her work has been short or long-listed for the Writers Guild of Alberta Howard O'Hagan Award for Short Story, a Relit Award, the Danita Gleed Literary Award, and the High Plains Book Award for Short Stories. She is also a co-author of Recipes for Roaming, Roaming, Adventure Food for the Canadian Rockies. For many years, she co-hosted a literary salon in her home. Astrid also loves multi-day river trips and very long walks. She lives in Edmonton. Astrid, welcome to the podcast. I found your book compelling for a variety of reasons. I thought we could start by having you share your crisp and I would say evocative writing style with our listeners. Could you read a few pages from the book? And, and before you begin, maybe you can help us by s- setting the setting us up, what we're entering or not. Up to you. What do you think? Sure. Sure. Thank you very much, Judith. Um, thank you for inviting me to talk about my stories. Um, I'm going to read from the beginning of the story called Everything's Fine, actually. And I don't think I'll set it up because one of the things about entering a story is not knowing where you're going and having to follow along. So here we go. Kim felt it when she was drying him after his bath. The lump was a small base, a small bulb at the base of Ben's skull, so small she almost missed it. Don't. Ben reached up and pushed her hand away. Does it hurt? He shook his head. How long has it been there? Ben lifted one shoulder up and down. Kim grabbed his shoulders and squeezed gently. Was it in summertime or after kindergarten started? I don't know. She was about to give him a small shake to jog his memory, but was stopped by something dark filling his hazel eyes. This look was never directed at Troy. Troy, who could do no wrong. She sat back and watched him put on his pajamas. Kim told Troy about the lump near the end of the ninth episode of the Danish murder mystery they'd been watching since June. Where is it? Troy asked, not looking away from the screen. Here. Kim pushed gently at the base of Troy's skull. Ow! Troy lifted her hand away. 
He probably whacked his head on the monkey bars and it's swollen. Or Oliver threw a dinosaur at him. Or a rock. Troy laughed. Ben and Oliver had known each other since being dragged out of Laugh and Learn at the Idlewild Library before they were two. Kim and Tessa had told the story so often the boys told it themselves now with embellishments. Though of course they remembered none of it. They were still pre-verbal and basically pre-human. <laughs> In the boys' version of The Great Escape, they were hauled by their big toes or their earlobes or their pinkies and screaming at the top of their lungs. The real version is that three minutes into the second laugh and learn, Kim scooped up Ben, who wanted to roughhouse with the other kids, and hauled him out. Not by his toes, but in what a baby book calls a football hold. When she deposited him in the sand under the swings, she saw that Oliver and Tessa were right behind her. Oliver wriggled free and began roughhousing with Ben. Kim was surprised to see Tessa on the verge of tears. Kim might have cried too, but she had no tears left. She cried her last cry long before Ben was born. It was strange not being able to cry anymore. Something wasn't right about that. Tessa looked away after a few seconds, and both of them started laughing. Now the boys were chasing each other. All of a sudden, they stopped, looked at each other, and flopped onto the grass like happy dead dogs. He's a kid, Troy said. I'll bet you any money it'll be gone in three days. I give everything three days. Maybe a week. He spoke quietly now. Kim, it could be worse. Everything can always be worse. Everything can always be worse. Astrid, that, that story destroyed me or nearly destroyed me i'm still here thankfully <laughs> the first time i read it and just hearing you read it it brought the power back and wow the foreshadowing so and i don't want to give away your story although i've kind of hinted at it i'm wondering why you chose that passage oh um that's a good question. Uh, I, I wanted to read from the beginning of a story. It's very hard to read from the middle of a short story, I think, without doing a lot of preparation. And um, that just seemed like a, a, good, a good length and a good beginning. Many of the others, you have to read a little bit more to get a, to get a sense of them. So no particular reason other than length. <laughs> interesting because yes. <laughs> as you were reading i was thinking yeah this is the writing that i so adored it the crispness the crispness is there but the not being able to cry anymore which yeah. you know and the pre-verbal basically pre-human it's humorous but not you combine life and its pain with its joy and also just the everydayness of it but it's so much more than that which brings me to a question i had all along short stories short stories feel like me feel like the most impossible thing to write i you have to begin and end and pack so much in mm -hmm. and it feels like 
so many contingencies are upon the writer. Can you talk to me about short stories versus like a novel or something? Yeah, this is exactly what I love about a short story. So much is packed into it. Um, it's. I think it's very hard to do it well. I've been working on these stories for a very long time. Um, but I love the brevity. I love that you don't have to say too much. Um, a novel to me is a completely different form. And it's funny, people will say to me, but aren't you going to write a novel? But to me, it's that's like saying to a bassoon player, aren't you going to take up dancing? They're actually kind, quite different. And I liken a short story uh, more to a poem because it's short, every single word counts. And something I read recently about a short story is you can't describe it because describing it kills it. Novelists have it easy. You can describe a novel and, and still read the novel. <laughs> but stories are a little different. They're little gems, I think. Oh, that's such a good point. You know, I, I normally um, think from a psychoanalytic lens and language is key to, to our work yeah. and you enjoy the brevity and I'm imagining you as a patient with your brevity, but <laughs> I'm also referencing poetry because poetry is so important for us in terms of you'll read many psychoanalytic papers and they will use poems or stanzas of poems or lines of poems because sometimes there's no other way of describing a feeling or an event or yeah. mostly a feeling and so yes I think that comes true in your your stories but also what comes true is life it's not a light-hearted book by any means mm -hmm. and and i'm wondering what was your what how did this come about how do these ideas come about what's your muse for lack of a better word what's my muse yes yeah. <laughs> um yeah i remembered recently then that when i was a kid I did not like reading Archie comics huh. because they were always so happy. Something <laughs> in that happiness that actually made me feel a bit off. Wow. And everything was just sort of perfect. Um, the world is not perfect. No. <laughs> and for so many people, things go awry. And I, I, I think I'm just sensitive to this. And when I read something and it, uh, stimulates everything inside me and wakes me up a little bit or or disturbs me i really i like that form of reading more than something where everything is flowing along and everything's fine i like this sense of being woken up even if it's a little bit disturbing like and jolting awake a little bit yeah being woken up just feeling all my nerve endings yeah um, and the other thing is, I'm guessing that because my mother grew up uh, as a child in a war and talked about what that was like when I was growing up, that somehow stayed with me in, in some way. I don't, uh, I don't know exactly what she went through, of course, um, 
but something about some kinds of trauma appeals to me or reaching into it or exploring it and basically reaching into uh where people are feeling things this this has this this it uh is meaningful to me and i like to explore it feeling things life like these stories remind me of life and that's kind of what you're describing for me but of course yeah. you know my my therapist lens is the generational transmission of trauma yes and yeah, yeah listening did your mother tell you she didn't tell you specific stories it she was did, actually she okay did. yeah some i remember because she told them more often um uh, i i think she she was remarkable though for all that she went through um you know some people deal with trauma through addiction and other means she did not she was an artist. She had a she had a, uh, she was an artist, a, a visual artist. <laughs> oh, oh, there you go. yeah. Oh, yeah. so you grew up surrounded by paintings, uh, sculptures. No, no raccoon pottery and sculptures. Wow. Yes, yes. Did she have a workshop? She did, but I I have no skill for that. I I am none whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. but that is interesting, and this was one of the questions that. I have for you and I wanted to bring it up later but as long as we're here I was thinking of the varied themes of your book and trauma mm -hmm. is a huge theme it and is, yeah, yeah. you've just explained it to me of of your kind of shaping her sculptures but making them yours it's so interesting or or exploring others I think too I think more than what I said, exactly. Yeah. So where do these ideas come from? Huh. Um, I think just from living in the world and just always being aware, well, not always, but being aware of what's going on around me. Writers are always observing and always listening. Um, so that when we in, imagine a character in our minds, we can hear what that character is saying, even though it's a made-up person, because we've heard so many things. But usually the, the thing we start to write about is a thing that has stirred up some emotion in us or has disturbed us in some way, and so we want to explore it further. Well, that was one of the signs for me of the trauma nature, that you often, in these stories, there are singular events. Yes. that then change the trajectory of somebody's life. And, of course, we know that that's what trauma does, even if it's not on a conscious level. And, and, and I was so struck by so many of your descriptions. And then in the narrative, the use of asterisks, because, well, tell me about the use of asterisks. Well... The asterisk uh, is a typographical style choice to separate um, uh, passages. And I think for the most part, uh, I, like to, I like to go back and forth in time. So it's separating, uh, it's showing a, a separation in time. 
So it could have been a different typographical mark. That's just the, the style the typesetter chose or the press, somebody at the press. But yeah, uh, sometimes I, I, the narrator tells the story in a straight line, but it can be interesting to go back and forth. Well, not only interesting from my perspective, it was the evidence of the lack of a temporal nature to trauma. Things that happened years and years and years ago, I, the, the theory, which I don't want to bludgeon, but there's this sense that it's frozen in time in the body and in the mind and it's not processed. Mm -hmm. But the effects of that remain and become the, the word now that everybody overuses is triggered, but so there's there's this you go to this memory, but you're not sure what's going on in the present. And that's exactly what it feels for a traumatized person, that you're kind of back there, but you're not. And so I was I'm giving more meaning to the asterisks, it sounds like, than you intended. But your writing does do that. Does that resonate or no? I understand what you're saying, that that some of the characters are are, are frozen in time and don't necessarily know what has changed for them or, or that slowly comes to them. Yeah. Yes. And that repeats in so many of these stories and, and, and that it also keys to what you were saying about the short story. These sentences are so packed with meaning. It's, I find it, I find it really, um, Beautiful. You're powerful, beautiful writing. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to ask you again, if you don't mind reading just there's just so that 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 power of the emotional piece. And I think we discussed before you reading the a paragraph on page 70. That's right. That's right. Do you want me to set it up a little bit? It's totally up to you because you're the author. I probably should, or it may not mean very much. Thank so the you. Story is, the story is called <laughs> Alex and Clayton and Raylene and me. Um, I'm kind of fond of this story because it grew out of another story in the book. So the narrator, uh, Sam, is the partner of somebody named Jen. They have their, Jen has her own story later. And when I was writing Jen's story, I realized I wanted to know more about Sam and what made him tick. <laughs> so um, this is Sam uh, uh, remembering something, remembering going to see his grandparents when he's a child. So his brother is Alex. Alex is a, a pain in the butt for an older brother. <laughs> and Clayton and Raylene are just two people. They happen to meet one, some, one summer not far from the grandparents' place. This is in rural Alberta, so the middle of nowhere, somewhere. I, I don't even, I just couldn't tell you because it doesn't exist, but it's, it's a, it's, there's not much happening in this part of the world. So this paragraph, uh, they're by a river. Uh, oh, Sam, the narrator, has just gone off to relieve himself because his brother has bought 
gigantic Slurpees and filled <laughs> probably rum or scotch or whatever cheap alcohol he found. So they're all drunk in the sun. Okay. So the others are in the water. Alex and Clayton and Raylene didn't get very far. They all drifted close together, or maybe they swam or crab walked. But when I looked up, they were near each other. Probably Alex and Clayton were helping her. The water was almost up to their necks, not because it was deep, but because they were play fighting or wrestling. They were doing something I couldn't see in slow motion. There was not much of a current, so they weren't even moving downstream. They were smiling in a funny way and not talking, and their eyes were mostly closed, except Raylene's. She was looking at them both, a glassy dark look, and her lips were in a line. Whatever they were doing, they did it for a long time. I stopped laughing. Now I was really mad at Alex. I wanted it to be just Alex and me in the water. A glassy dark look and her lips were in a line. Thank you. That is exactly what I was referring to. And full disclosure for our listeners, this was not planned, but I just realized we were talking about trauma and the last story is Sam in the present referring to that lake. And I think it's even the last line of the story. You speaking to his wife, something I might be misremembering. You would have really oh, loved, you would have really yeah. loved the lake. That's the lake, but, but that's a different lake. That's the lake uh, in BC where they've gone to see an old friend of Jen's. Yeah. Yeah, but this is a river somewhere in Alberta. Okay, yeah. but for some reason in my mind, he was like yeah. kind of connecting the two. They're, like, they're both water. They're both water, right. so in that sense, yes. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, ooh. So it's interesting because I'm talking about the heaviness. We're talking about life and its darker moments, but... There's also, you weave in, I think it's a story you read, the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. That was, you're right. The first story has that song. Because uh, the husband uh, is pretty relaxed about things. Mom is worried about right. their son. And, and dad is always, no, no, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But she's, kind of she's, 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 she's sensing things are not that good. Yeah, I'm trying to find that story. Well, and now that you, you now that you told me about the Archie comics, I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I had the same reaction. I'm like, okay, can we stop with that song? But it was so perfectly drawn in. You didn't do it too much. You didn't do too little. It was the right amount to get the effect of, oh. But also, it, people people are annoying like that when they exactly. say something over and over. That's right. Exactly. And then and then she want Kim wants him to say it at some point. She yes. needs to hear it. Of yeah. course. Yeah. 
because we can't always live in the darkness. We need both, right? Yeah. The struggle. Um, and speaking of the struggle, the title of the book. <laughs> yes. The very title of the book, which is in one of your short stories, in, in, in one of the stories, right? This will all, wait, is that? Am I misremembering this? This is how you start to disappear is in the the actual story. This will be all be over soon. That's no. right. That's OK, right. so help me with that. How did that happen? Well, it's very hard to pick the right title. And this happened with my first collection, too. I had a different title and the press said, well, I forget what they said. We had to change the title. And in uh -huh. this case, um, I was going to call this collection, This Will All Be Over Soon. Okay. Which has many implications. Yes. <laughs> Things are bad, but they they could get, they will likely get better. Um, it was very close, or I think the same as another book that had just come out. Oh. The press didn't want me to use that title. So um, typically a story collection is, is named for one of the stories. In this case, we pulled a line out of one of the stories that okay. I thought worked very well because of the different ways people, that the nature of a person can change in, in relation to another, depending on the relationship. Absolutely. And it's so interesting because I was, I think I told you at some point, I was raving about this book to somebody who actually happens to be an analyst. And I, and, and you know, he's, what's the name of the book? I said, um, this is how you disappear. And, you know, we live in 2024. So everybody pulls out their phone to track, check and he pulled out his phone and he's like, no, 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 it's not. It's called, this is how you start to disappear. Yes. And I was actually glad that moment happened because there's a difference. And this is how you disappear is a done deal, right? Mm -hmm. Start to is what you said it's change but i also maybe this is my positivity shining through but it's more hopeful yes, like you exactly. could right did was that yes. and and it makes sense with some of these stories you have hope for so many of these characters but not all i have to say <laughs> <This is true. laughs> very true <laughs> yeah i mean we we won't detail which ones those are which brings me to the theme of another theme because there's so many wonderful themes mm -hmm. but women both their yeah. power and their plight yeah. that i perceived do you want to talk about that well because i'm a woman i i write as a woman and for women um and for women who often can't or don't or won't speak for themselves. Um, I think I more I have more women friends than men friends. So I'm more aware of, of women's challenges, let's say, you know, friends who are single mothers, friends who have gone through um, all kinds of challenges. Um, so I'm not writing their experiences, but uh, um, I understand where people are coming from because of this, or at least women. Um, as you know, I wrote Sam's story uh, from his perspective, 
um, I have a soft spot for him. And so I thought I'll just write his story. But you're right, it's mostly women. Um, in some ways, things are harder for women. I think that's part of it, too. Hmm. Yeah. Well, no. But, but again, the story is also about a little girl for Sam. And what happens to that girl? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And also... I one of your earlier chapters with the ice going ice skating. Oh yes. The, right? A little girl, yes. Yeah. yeah. But she's a really savvy little girl mm -hmm. who could have power but doesn't quite. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Yeah. She's one of the hopeful ones. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And her response to her dad at the end. This is her starting to show her power. Right. She, she sees what's going on. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Um, what is it like, by the way? You're the therapist speaking. What is it like for you <laughs> to have me digging into these stories and asking you these questions? Well, yeah. It's, it's actually really hard to explain how I write. And I'm coming to accept that. Huh. Um, recently, I I read something by uh, Claire Keegan, who's an Irish sure. story writer I love. And she said, I don't know how I do it. I just write. And I said, hallelujah, <laughs> just like me. So it's actually very hard. Um, other people see things in my writing. And I say, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I do find it helpful. Because now I think more about what I'm writing, but I still don't always know exactly how I, I have done it or exactly why I choose the topics I choose, other than they, they have woken something up in me that I feel is important. Um, there are so many things we can write about. Um, uh, <laughs> but but to have you ask questions, it makes me think about it more and understand it a little more. Mm. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not, but, uh, <laughs> because I don't want to interrupt. The, it's such it sounds like it's such an innate natural process. Yet you have described choosing exactly the right word, right? Like on some level. <laughs> This comes from doing it over and over. So I've been writing since I was a child. Oh. Uh, I've taken writing courses um, and I revise a lot. I don't have the first, the right words in the first draft, nobody does. So it's in the rewriting and discovering what's happening that, that we can uh, choose better words and also put in foreshadowing for instance. Yeah. Well. I'm struck because patients will often come in and repeat the same story right. session yes. after session. And it's the same kind of process, mm -hmm. rewriting it, re-understanding it, reinterpreting it. Mm -hmm. And, and that is, I think Astrid for me, one of the reasons I really wanted to interview you because mm -hmm. 
while you say you don't really think about it, you just write, the depth of your explorations indicates to me that you really have a psychological mind. You understand how people can react and function faced with, as you've described, these events that they didn't plan on. I mean, and and it's really it's really beautiful and I'm in awe. Um, but on that other flip side, so tell me about the actual process. Do you sit down at a computer? Do you handwrite? I now sit at a computer and write. When I first started, I wrote by hand and then I typed. So um, I do find though that sometimes sitting at a computer uh, dulls my brain. <laughs> Sure. That affects my creativity. So if if I'm lying in bed unable to sleep, I I uh I can imagine things and I imagine uh, the whole sentence, in fact. Wow. Writing, yeah. And that's more helpful. Or if I go for a walk, you know, I love to walk and talk. Sure. Outside. My characters are outside. Um I can think about things more creatively. And then I can write things down. We call that reverie. Reverie, I like this. Okay. <laughs> but speaking of outside, yes. nature is another theme. Yes, it's it everywhere. Is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, is that your life from where you came? Yes. So in many ways. So partly I feel like I wanted to normalize being outside. Because we are not outside as a society the way right. we once were, I don't think. Um, right now, I'm looking out my window onto a ravine. We're extremely lucky. We live on a ravine, which leads to the North Saskatchewan River in Edmonton. Wow. So, wow. again, extremely lucky. Um, when I was young, my parents bought some land in the bush and built a cabin, which my husband and I still go to for great periods of time every summer. Huh. Um, I, I, it's off the grid, which is one of the reasons I love it. There's no phone. There's no Wi-Fi. Wow. No television, of course, nothing, no running water. It's just <laughs> out there. It's yeah, it's quite, a, it's quite a rare thing, but I love it. Um, I think it's just part of who I am now, this stage in my life. <laughs> Interesting. So is that the, the very first story is... The first story uh, is physically set roughly in the area of where this land is. Um, that was in my mind as I was writing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can see that now. Yeah, yeah. So, Astrid, I, I've I've kept you, and you've really explored so many wonderful topics with me, which I very much appreciate. So, is there anything that I haven't? brought up in particular that you'd like to talk about no really. we don't have we've to <laughs> yeah we've covered quite a lot haven't we we've been pretty thorough <laughs> it's it's great what what about new projects is that a stressful question i just realized <laughs> <laughs> i am writing new things and of course it's people in uh situations we wouldn't want to find ourselves in. I hate, I mean, that's, I don't know why that appeals to me. <laughs> but this is, this is our world, I suppose. Yes. You know, in, uh, in Edmonton, a state of emergency was just declared because of all the homeless people. 
so and it's as you know last week it was about minus 50 with the week. yes so i can't reasonably write about being homeless but these are things this is something i think about you know and of course we have people migrating out of places they can no longer live right. because of war so these are bigger issues <laughs> that um could still be tackled in a short story just the, the way people live and how um it might still involve trauma and loss and and heartache all these things i tend to write about a lot anyway yeah but they are part of life along with the beauty of your river and the ravine exactly yeah and the love you that comes through in this book as well it's all in there and yeah the key is how how indeed yes. do we live and we That's do we yeah and thankfully there are stories like this to get us through um you know this podcast is is geared towards an american audience yes so i is this book available for us <laughs> on the other side Oh, to purchase? Okay. Of course it is. <laughs> yes. So either directly through the University of Alberta Press. Of course, Amazon will give you whatever you want. It's true. And some. <laughs> um, beyond that, I'm not sure. I'm sure. I, I think the, the press and Amazon are, are the ways to find it. Yes, there's no other side with Amazon, fortunately <laughs> or unfortunately, but we yeah. do get our what we need materially anyway yeah, so yeah. Astrid it's been a pleasure I'm so thankful for the time you spent with me and I wish you well thank you very much Judith I wish you well as well bye-bye okay bye-bye <laughs>